This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. It's Ray Harkins, and you're listening to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful day here in Southern California or wherever you're at. Hopefully it's beautiful. Hopefully it's not raining or snowing. I think we're through most of that. We're in springtime right now, right? Isn't that isn't that the time where weather isn't, or is it April showers bring May flowers? So technically it's still probably raining where you are. <laughs> but anyways, the guest this week is Chris Enriquez. He is the drummer from a band called On the Mitre Princes, which uh, you know is definitely still spoken about in some circles. But in many respects, has been kind of uh, you know left left to the wayside, which is uh, unfortunate because I think All the Mighty Princes is a incredible band and they've put out some really really great music. And uh, this is the sort of interview where I was really excited to dig in because I got to ask him some questions that like you know you hear these like uh, I, I I want I don't want to call them legends because that makes them sound way more important or large than they really were. But you hear these these stories that get passed around where it's like, Oh yeah, this band was talking to this label or like, Oh, I remember like, this is just coming randomly to my head, but, um, this is actually true. So, uh, there was a metalcore band called the red cord who, uh, you know, were from the Boston area. was friends of the guys and I, they were, uh, you know, a very, very incredible band. And at the, it was probably say 2003 or so, Basically, there was just you know, every record label was tripping over themselves to potentially sign a band of that caliber because, you know, the Red Chord has d- did a lot of touring and that music scene was very particularly hot. So they got signed to Metal Blade Records and in their deal, they actually had uh, health insurance built in there, which was like one of the first times that that had ever really happened of a band at an independent level to have that included in their contract. And at, from that point on, I was working at Century Media Records. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with bands where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, we can't include health insurance for, you know, reasons A, B, and C, primarily just because of a liability issue. Because, you know, if you're insured via the record label's insurance policy and, like, you know, you get hurt somewhere where the record label is not based, there's just a lot of a lot of legal red tape. But anyways, I just remember that being a thing. And, I mean, that was an actual thing. And, uh, I just, I I love those little things that get passed around. And one of the things that got passed around, I got solved via this interview with Chris. And I just love, I love that resolution. (laughs) It makes me very happy. So you'll hear about it. Uh, we talk about it, uh, at length because it it just opens up a whole can of worms that I was very excited to uh, discuss with Chris. So let's get some, uh, business pleasantries out of the way and then we'll dive into the episode with Chris. And, uh, like I've been pushing you all month. If you are a listener of this particular show on the medium called Overcast, please, please, please click the star, recommend it. And uh, yeah, hopefully at some point we'll bubble up and enough people will recommend us that we will land in the music pages of that uh, app. And I would really appreciate that. So, And if you're looking for an upgrade over the podcast listening app that is on your uh, iPhone or iOS device, uh, just download it because it's it's free. If you want to pay for some bells and whistles, you can do that as well. But uh, I just I really like it. That's how I listen to all my podcasts, and I listen to way too many podcasts. People actually look at my app, and like I start scrolling through all the shows that I need to listen to, and people are like, 
dude, you're ridiculous. And I say, yeah, absolutely. Basically the same way that I've approached my nerddom with music is the same way that I've approached my podcast listening consumption. It just, it, it's never ending. It's just so much. But anyways, please do that for me. Overcast, recommend the show. I really appreciate it. And I, I'm going to speak uh, in generalities about something because I, I don't really want to speak in specifics uh, for this particular issue just because I, I don't really want it to become more of a thing than it already is and was. But this is internet bullying in general. I know everybody has an opinion on this and I know everybody has experienced it in some way, shape or form, but, uh, it's, it really, the negativity that's on the internet, just, it really bums me out because like anytime that I dive into any social media chatter or conversation about a particular issue that people are outraged from. And I'm not even talking about like the larger political issues that exist in our country and our culture today, but stuff that is, um, I I wouldn't go so far as to call them inconsequential because they are meaningful. Um, but you know, stuff in like our music scene and people just being mean to other people and saying really, really terrible things about people. Like when I dive into specific like Twitter threads where people have just are piling on a person or a band or whatever, And then like I actually click through one of those users profiles and I see, you know, who they are. And it's like, you know, there's some like 15, 16 year old kid from, you know, like London or New York or what. It doesn't matter where they're from. But I just I don't know how I me personally, how I would have reacted to this sort of stuff if I was at the front and center of it. Um, You know, I mean, people have beaten me up online before, but. It's uh, it's just a bummer that the immediate reaction to stuff is to just be snarky or mean or stupid, and um, you know, there's no real point to this this diatribe other than the fact that just be nice online. Like, do you have to contribute to the negativity that's surrounding a certain situation or scenario? Uh, just frankly, it just bums me out, and I understand that my personality is not one that immediately goes to the negative, whereas other people are, and that's just the way that they're wired. Totally get that, but. Um, you have to learn certain things. Uh, And if you have to learn how to be nice and be civil to other human beings on the internet, then that's something you should focus on. You know, if it doesn't come naturally to you, that's, that's fine. If you are a, you know, young kid and you're experimenting with your voice and you're figuring out what that actually means. But, uh, yeah, just, just use some filtering and common sense before you spew, whatever venom you want to on the internet. And uh, I understand people that are in the vaulted uh, ceilings of, you know, politics, you know, uh, I'm I'm just thinking of like, you know, the mean tweets that uh, Jimmy Kimmel does and how everybody laughs at them. And yes, it is funny and it is entertaining, but uh, there is a certain level (laughs) of celebrity that reaches that where it's like, yeah, you know, the, you know, Ryan Gosling is not reading his uh, at mentions on Twitter, but people in our music scene, frankly, they probably do. And um, it's just, it's just sad. So anyways, just be nice on the internet. Can you do that for like a week or a day? Or, you know, even if it's a couple hours, what if you're struggling with it, just, you know, there's no reason to pile on people. So anyways, off my soapbox, but like I said, Chris Enriquez on the Might of Princess, incredible band from Long Island. Him and I have been uh, trading emails for a while, and we finally got to speaking. And um, yeah, that's what we're doing. I'm so excited about it. So here it is, and I'll talk to you after the show's over.
with uh, my own kind of personal entry point to you know you and your music and everything like that. Um, so I I think you know, and I'm sure you have this with with many people where you trying to find a point of origin where you actually met the person is pretty difficult. But I'm fairly certain that we met when um, Taken and All the Might of Princes played like a fest together in Long Island. I think, um, or you you guys. Huh. I, like I mean I know I think we played together it was like I think we were on tour with Curl Up and Die um, and you guys we played a show in Long Island and you guys um, you know headlined the thing um, do you know if it was was it a festival or a regular show was it because you know what I remember was like I think uh, I think it might have been Ground Zero okay yeah 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 that sounds familiar yeah that sounds familiar see I, re- I remember meeting you I think through like I could be wrong too like it, it's weird like I heard about you through my friend Jade in Vegas because she was all up in that whole yeah, West Coast right, course. Right. Yeah. She's my best friend. But um, And then I think it was a, a mixture of like Curl Up and Die and like possibly the dudes in This Day Forward um, and just playing shows in that time. I think that's how we first met. But um, I, think you, I, th- I think it was a Long Island show. Um, I think I can't remember if it was a festival or if it was a show. For some reason, I feel like it was Ground Zero, but obviously it was a Long Island hardcore show at some point in the mid nineties. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, totally, totally. And I, I remember. I mean, I, I was excited because I already enjoyed what you had done musically with with. Uh, I I I don't think I could also say a better acronym for a band than Otmop. Like Otmop is one of like. Yeah. I just love like as I was preparing for the interview, as I was typing that out, I'm just like, oh, that's right. People used to call you guys Otmop. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that ended up, uh, yeah. We got a lot of like, we, like the, the the name was hard for people to remember. I, I remember seeing some really good ones on flyers. There was on the night of Christmas was a good one. <laughs> that's that's really good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it was Ground Zero at a Taken Curl Up and Die show that we played. Yep. Uh, um, and yeah, I actually remember, I think, yeah, I have weird memories about that. I think Curl Up and Die's van, like, uh, you know, crapped out or something, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I, I was anticipating that show because I knew, uh, you know, since you guys were from, from the area that I knew the show was going to be pretty good. Um, and I remember watching you guys and, uh, the, there's two things that struck me, um, one was that, you know, the kids that were at that show were, you know, I mean, it was like your punk and hardcore kids, but it was a very wide variety of kids. Like it definitely wasn't just, you know, what you would typify as like, oh, this is what you would expect at a metallic hardcore show. It was kind of like, oh, there's a wide array of kids and that everybody was kind of communally losing it, you know, was just like freaking out yeah. for you guys as you were playing. Um, it, I'm sure. And I, I know that speaks to what your band sounded like, but you guys never really fit in anywhere as far as like playing with bands yeah. that were similar. Um, you know, I- I'm sure that was a blessing and a curse in many ways. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, like I like personally for me, I, I, I was the only guy in the band that grew up really in like the hardcore scene proper. Like I went to sick of it all shows and I was into a lot of the New York hardcore stuff growing up. Those guys, um, I was actually not an original member. Um, those guys, were kind of coming more um they had a different drummer before i um joined uh, they had a record with a, a first record with a different drummer and they were kind of coming more from that like a uh, cap and jazz sort of like braid um you know mid 90s like emo thing at the time that was sort of like where they were sort of come from and also like unwound and drive like jehu so like um at the time in the long island hardcore scene there was pretty like 
it was pretty diverse, but like also like um, there were not really bands playing that style of music at the time. Um, you know, you had like Salt Majority and Glassjaw and Mind Over Matter and all that stuff, and it was really different. Um, I think the Long Island hardcore scene produced a lot of really unique bands, but On the Might of Princes sort of came from left field, and we would play with a lot of bands that we didn't fit in with um, ska shows, metalcore shows, um, and you know, all sorts of shit. I mean, I remember, um, you know, also just like playing shows, you know, eventually like with, with like Indecision and Walls of Jericho, and, and then on other days with Ladderman and sort of more of the punk scene so we didn't really fit in uh, anywhere but and it was like you said like sort of a, a blessing and curse at the same time but I think um, ultimately that's what made people you know check us out because we were we were pretty different from what was happening you know yeah absolutely I mean, I mean and I also think it was very indicative of the Long Island scene like you were mentioning where you know there's such a lineage of bands that don't sound alike like playing shows together just out of you know function of like well you know we're not we're not the typical new york city bands so i guess we'll all kind of play a show together just because you know we can't play you know abc no rio or whatever (laughs) yeah i mean like that was the whole thing like it was uh there was uh i was listening to actually an episode uh, of yours where you were talking to um ben weinman where he talked about living in the suburbs and not being too far from the city and i can relate to that completely because uh i grew up about 45 minutes away from New York City, so we had that access to check out cool shows at CBs and Coney Island High and all that stuff. But Long Island, um, I think, just, you know, it, it kind of, you're a product of your own environment. And, um, you know, I think there's a reason why uh, in Long Island bands sounded the way they did. There was a lot more. I don't know, I guess, like, diversity to to it. Like, if you listen to um, the hardcore bands at that time, like Salt Majority or Mind Over Matter or Glassjaw, um, there's a lot of, like, alternative influence in there, a lot of noise influence there. It was not like New York City where you just sort of had, like, you know, a billion youth crew bands or bands that just sounded like Cro-Mags or Agnostic Front. And, and I love that stuff, but that's kind of what I thought made Long Island special was that people were a little more open to experimentation and trying something new. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you yourself, were you born and raised in Long Island or where did you come up? Yeah, I actually was born and raised in Long Island. Um, and, uh, you know, music over there was always sort of, prevalent anywhere you go you know um and you know i I discovered a lot of stuff growing up through uh, i had an older sister that um she was into new wave music and hung out with a lot of skaters and so that was sort of uh you know growing up as a young kid being exposed to all that that's sort of what got me into punk and hardcore music got it yeah so your your sister was your uh how how much older was she she she's eight years older than me so um you know i think when when i was about you know when 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 your sister's out going to concerts and you know she she must have been like you know 15 or 16 i must have you know i was eight or nine years old and just seeing her come back with like cool like pixies and you know pixies records cure depeche mode stuff like that um that was sort of like the gateway for me um, to finding out about like other stuff that wasn't, you know, the lame crap that you would see on MTV or hear on the radio all the time, you know, like, um, I mean, those bands were popular, but you know what I mean? Like um, it was, it, it was different and interesting. And that was like my exposure to like alternative music, I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I yeah. always, I always love the, 
the leg up that you can have when you have a sibling that is able to, you know, just eat, at least get your appetite wet for stuff that is, you know, like you mentioned, left of center, where it's just like, oh, hey, here's the cure. And then you're all of a sudden off into a whole different tangent as opposed, yeah. <laughs> you know, as opposed to like, you know, wandering around the wilderness where you're just like, I don't know what I'm into. Like, I guess I'll try this. And then you're like, well, this is terrible. Like, it's just it's nice to have a little uh, leg up from that. Yeah, I mean, dude, I always love hearing about how people, you know, got into, you know, especially with punk and hardcore, because, you know, it's still an underground thing today, you know, like, I just always find it interesting to find out how people, you know, got into it and where it came from, you know, and I I don't, I, I could be just an old guy now, but I just feel like a lot of that history and like roots it gets lost in conversation now with a lot of people today. And, you know, I, I, as products of being born in the early 80s i think you know there was a lot of just like awesome shit around us growing up and a lot of cool culture to be exposed to you know yeah exactly i mean yeah the the notion that you know i mean like you mentioned it it sounds you know so old and quaint where it's like uh, oh you actually had to work to find stuff or whatever but oh yeah (laughs) but i mean you know the the internet changed so many things for you know the positive and the negative where you know people i'm sure now you you can point to you know, teenagers that are growing up and their musical tastes are so much more diverse than, you know, maybe you or I at that age, just because they have access to everything. Um, you know, but at the same time, they may not have the depth of context or knowledge that, you know, we had because they're, you know, we only had the choice to listen to the records that we did as opposed to like having the entire musical library of the world at our fingertips. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably why, you know, we're still so into it now because you had to work so hard to, 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 to discover it and find those records and to get the word out about your band and, and to get shows. I mean, I think we sort of have that in common. I, you know, I would imagine like, it's just, it was like not an easy thing to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a scavenger hunt. That's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you're, uh, so like you mentioned you had an older sister, what was your family structure like in the house? Did you like mom and dad present? What were they doing for work? Yeah. Um, my parents were pretty well off. I mean, uh, it, it, it was sort of, you know, they, they, the cool thing was they, they, they came, they migrated over here from the Philippines and grew up in Stuyvesant town, um, in the seventies. So they were pretty, they were hippies and at some point and they were exposed to like a lot of that cool culture that was going on, um, in New York city at that time. Um, which was just like everything sort of, uh, being invented, like from, disco and hip-hop and punk rock and so you know they were they were pretty uh they're pretty lenient uh with the stuff that my sister and i got into when we were young um and eventually um you know they were able to sort of get some really you know get themselves some secure jobs moved out to long island got a house and um and we we grew up there um it was a lot of a lot of like jocks kind of like if you ever watched like a lot of those 80s movies like nerds like it was kind of one of those typical situations where like you get picked on by all the football players and all the jocks and stuff so um that was sort of another thing that pushed me into getting into punk and stuff like that my parents didn't really i don't mean i I guess like there, there there were a few moments i think where they were a little freaked out by the posters on my wall and the records i was bringing home but i think they understood you know sort of my um desire for rebellion with everything that was surrounding me and in, in, in the suburbs that we um, grew up in and they sort of let me 
continue on that path and totally supportive uh, from a young age to eventually playing in bands as a teenager and all that. So I was pretty lucky to have uh, a good family structure and, uh, and, and people um, that didn't really hold me back from, you know, I guess, you know, I, I, it's sound cheesy, but like, you know, just getting into, you know, following your dreams and doing what you want to do. They were always supportive throughout all the years of me um, getting into this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think it's interesting, too, just because, you know, you, since you come from a family of uh, immigrants, so they were getting used to the culture of America. And, you know, like you said, they were already, you know, involved in some subcultures over here as far as, you know, the hippie movement and what have you. But um, it, it takes a lot for a parent to, you know, accept kind of one thing. Uh, but then, you know, to on top of it where they're like, OK, you know, like we moved over here to, you know, give ourselves a better life or whatever and then yeah. uh, afford our kids, uh, you know, different opportunities. And then you start coming home with super weird records and you're saying you want to play drums. And I'm sure they were just like, this <laughs> I was like, well, this isn't what we had in, my, in mind, but yeah, OK. Yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, you you have a kid, man. I, 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 I if I if my kid came home and, you know, brought a drum set into the house and practiced every day like I did, I, I don't know that I would have been as cool as they were about it. You know, like um, I, I have no idea how they put up with all the band practices that were happening in the house for all those years. Right. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> I mean, especially drumming like I, I parents have to have such a deep patience for their kids that get into drums just because it's like the, the, you, you can't turn those down like there's only one value. Yeah. <laughs> uh man like i mean it's weird i don't know how you feel about it but like being a parent but it's like I, I have um i have a lot of uh uh godchildren and nephews and nieces some of which that are getting actually actually getting into um uh music and, and and aggressive music and playing bands and it's like you know I, as as much as i wouldn't change anything like man if i I don't know if I would be cool with like, like, you know, knowing what we had to go through and the things we were exposed to letting my kid or, or any of my godchildren like follow our footsteps. But I, I am very grateful that they, uh, they allowed me to pursue all the things that I was trying to do in those times. Right. For sure. Um, and so then it, it sounded like drums was basically, that was the thing that immediately you latched onto. Like, you know, did you experiment with guitar or did you play any other instruments as you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I I don't really know how you know. I never took lessons. I um, I picked up drums basically just from watching, like I, I don't know. Just came, like I, I I remember watching a lot of like MTV and videos and something about drums. Just watching people play was very primitive and just made sense to me. And that's how I just picked up on it. But I also did pick up guitar and bass. I took some piano lessons. So like. Um, you know, I've been playing music uh, since I was five. Like, I just sort of picked stuff up and, and figured it out. And my parents, you know, were cool with, with picking up instruments for me and, and supporting me with that. Like, I just, it was sort of, um, I don't know if, if it was like this for you also, but like, I think at that time, if you weren't a jock, you were a musician. You know what I mean? At least it was like that in my town. So that was sort of like where I gravitated to. And, and, and drums just, for me, uh, being like a guy that was picked on all the time for, for having weird hair or dressing weird. Like it's such a great stress release relief to go home and just beat the crap out of something. It's not like, you know, playing guitar or bass, you know, you can get aggressive, but like, you know, you, you, with drums, you have no choice, but to really beat the crap out of, the, of these things, you know? So that was what really made me, um, 
choose drums as my main sort of um, instrument or my main thing, you know? Right. <clears throat> and so you, you kind of alluded to it, uh, or you've mentioned it, where, you know, your your high school experience and once you started to form your identity, you were always <clears throat> on the outside kind of looking in as far as, you know, just being into, you know, a, a different subculture than what many of the kids that you were surrounded by. Um did you kind of find your your tribe of kids that were into weird stuff or, you know, were you kind of just like sticking to yourself and, you know, trying to, you know, dodge the bullets? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, there were that we, we had we had a crew of like a couple dudes that um, it's funny. We I think it, I think it, it's a natural. I don't know if it's like this now, but like um, I would imagine it was like this at the time for a lot of people um, growing up in, 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 in suburbs surrounded by like you know, those sort of typical bullies and whatnot. Like we, I grew up with a lot of guys that also got into music as a result of that. We, we, together, I think, you know, I had like four or five friends at the time that I knew from kindergarten up through senior year of high school. And, you know, we all kind of had a similar experience of how we were treated and I, and, and discovered uh, aggressive music and shows and playing instruments together. And, and that sort of helped us through um, all those years of just like awful fucking torture getting chased home by fucking like five dudes with lacrosse sticks and shit like that. It was pretty brutal. Like, you know, where I, where I lived to, to not be into sports and all that shit. Like, but, um, yeah, we had, I had, a, I had a group of friends and we, and those guys, those were the guys that I eventually went to New York city with and saw bands like, uh, helmet and sick of it all. And I mentioned sick of it all cause that was my first hardcore show. And, um, and then eventually in long Island at the PWAC, which was of course the, uh, the kind of original venue where a lot of, um, things were starting to happen in the nineties for the hardcore scene out there. But, you know, we, we, we had a small group of friends that we would just go out and discover the shit together, which was awesome. That's awesome. Hey, you, I'm talking to you. So what underwear are you wearing? We probably don't, you probably don't think about it. I mean, I, I don't think about it all the time because I know that I am having the most comfortable experience possible because I use MeUndies. So what is MeUndies? MeUndies is only the most comfortable, softest underwear that you will ever feel. So seriously, it's unbelievable because what you can do is you can save 20% off anything that you buy on MeUndies by using the code WORDS. And when I say code, just go to MeUndies.com slash words and 20% off, no questions asked, boom. So I'll tell you why that you need to try this out. First of all, it's delivered right to your door and it is made from the sustainably sourced micro modal but it's oh it's so so soft like you put them on and you're just like yo this is the best thing that i've ever put in my body in my entire life and plus they have a bunch of awesome designs classic colors bold shades adventurous patterns and no one likes boring underwear so that's why they're like here here's all these awesome choices and if you wanted to, you can step up and get a subscription where once a month you're going to be getting these cool underwear sent right to your door. So please, revamp your underwear drawer. You deserve it. MeUndies.com slash words for 20% off your first pair. Please. And plus, they have amazing sweats. I'm wearing these French cherry joggers right now. And dude, I could just live in them. If it would be socially acceptable to wear these to like meetings and other professional settings, I'd be wearing them all the time. So please, MeUndies.com slash words, 20% off. Do it up. You'll thank me later for it. Okay? Now, on with the show. 
Did you feel like, um, you know, because of uh, your your culture and your race, like, was that also playing a part of, you know, why kids were like, oh, wow, like, Chris is not only into weird stuff, but he's not a white dude like us. (laughs) Like, was that, did you find, did did you find anything uh, that was, you know, that you noticed that was connected to that? It's an that's an interesting question because I I talk about that quite a bit like uh, just like growing up uh, growing up in New York uh, and and then moving from one place to another like I uh, experienced a lot of different types of um, you know you, I've, I I could say I personally have experienced different types of harassment for different reasons and like at that time it wasn't really racial I don't think it I, I really more so encountered that stuff later on in life. Uh, you know, living in different parts of the city, but in the in the place I grew up in, um, it was kind of like no, it, it, it was more motivated, I think, to the fact that we were just different and not into what everyone else was into. I mean, we were the only non-white family on on my um, street, and it was a very conservative Catholic Republican place like bill o'reilly's from my town kind of gives you an idea of right. of what the environment was like like you know bill o'reilly was kind of like everybody's dad or everyone's teacher in my town um but uh yeah i never really it, you know people wouldn't really call me names like r- racially um it was more like hey what's up freak or you know freak show or druggy or you know more it was more about like what we looked like and the music we were into and the way we dressed and that sort of thing um but yeah people were, or you know a lot of a lot of homophobic shit like people would uh constantly call us horrible names because you know we just we we, we didn't look tough like everybody else you know yeah yeah it's the it's it's the quote-unquote easiest insult when you're th- those sort of people where it's just like well i don't know how to classify you so you're probably this and so. yeah 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 although although all those people i'm sure voted for trump this year <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah. that's, that's 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 easy to predict um, yeah and so did you uh did you care about school were you dedicated to that at all or is that something that you kind of just uh, coasted by on Oh, I totally coasted by. I was so absent. I was <laughs> I, like, I know uh, it sounds redundant, but it's appropriate for this podcast. I was just so I, I, I tuned out so much because I was just so into music. That was the only thing I cared about and the only thing I thought about and did. I, I was the kid in, in class that would be like scribbling like Iron Maiden on my binder or something, you know, or like just like stupid shit. Like I, I. I was lucky that I graduated high school. I was lucky that I even finished college. I was, I just sort of breezed by, but I just like in hindsight, I think as an adult, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of crazy that I took, took a lot of that for granted, but it was just a, such a horrible environment to be in, including the teachers. And it was just a, like there, there was no motivation to really want to be there, you know, and you know, um, you know, going back to the music thing, like you just sit there and wait to get out of class to go, you know, listen to music with your friends or go to band practice or see a show. Like that was what was, um, really, I kind of credit school being so horrible to why I got into all this shit, you know? Right. Totally. It was like this, this was the fuel to the fire of getting me into this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. College was like that too, man. You know, a lot of, a lot of fraternities and shit like that. Like, you know, it it long, certain parts of Long Island are very much stereotypical in that sense where, you know, uh, yeah, you just like, kind of like fall into this, like 
institution surrounded by like just macho dudes that that just fucking mess with you you know what i mean that was like that at the time at least right sure um and so you went to college like what were what was your i guess professional path like did you have any notion of what you wanted to do from a profession or was that just kind of you know secondary based on the fact you wanted to play drums it was it was pretty secondary because at that time like i started playing in bands when i was 13 nothing um nothing that like went too far but i mean by the time i was a senior i was already playing you know local hardcore shows and seeing like you know a lot of cool shit out there like um but yeah by by the time i was in college i pretty much knew i wanted to find a band and go on tour and i was like i i I went to school for communications um i want to um uh get into journalism uh and like you know i i wrote music reviews for the local paper i I remember doing some reviews for like cmj and sort of contributing to different zines and stuff but uh you know so that was why like i was i was trying to become like a music journalist was my uh, original idea when I was going to school, but that ended up getting derailed by, um, you know, the fact that I ended up joining bands and touring and stuff like that. And then I ended up finishing college much later in life. Got it. And so uh, what I mean, like you mentioned, you weren't uh, a founding member of, you know, on the Mind of Princes because you, you didn't play on the, the first EP, correct? Did you play in the full the first full length? Uh, yeah, well, actually, the, uh, On the Mind of Princess was a weird band. Their first release, their first proper release was actually a full length, and it was called um, The Making of a Conversation. That was... That's right. Um, I don't know why I always thought of that as an EP, but it, yeah, it is a full length. You're, you're, you're right. Yeah, no, I, but you know, it's weird, though. Like, most bands' first records are demos or seven inches, you know, right. at that time. But uh, So that was the record I didn't play on, and then... Um, and that came out, which I was just thinking about this before the interview. It came out like roughly 20 years ago, which is really fucking weird. Um, (laughs) um, and then I, that was about 1997, 1998. I joined in 99 and then played on the second full life. Okay. Got it. And so, and, but was, was that your first experience from a, I guess, more serious touring level or had you done something prior to that, that was, you know, getting you outside of, of Long Island? That's it's funny. I I, I, I don't know um, how many people know this, but um, back right before on the might of princes, I actually was playing with Eddie Reyes from Taking Back Sunday in a band that sort of indirectly morphed into that. I guess uh, you could say. So we, you know, I. I knew Ed uh, as like sort of like one of the older dudes in the scene that play, he played in bands like Clockwise and Inside and Mind Over Matter, and there was like that sort of like lineage um, of like you know older hardcore dudes that you looked up to that you would sort of aspire to be. And um, he he had me playing in a band with him called Runner Up, and we had toured. We did a small weekend with Silent Majority, and I remember going to North Carolina, and uh, and that's where basically like eddie met uh, the guys that would eventually become the future members of taking back sunday and then when i quit the band that that's what runner-up turned into um and right around that time is when i joined on the might of princes so i did like a little bit of um you know weekends here and there with that band and um and even before that i had done a i was in a band um called fall with grace in high school that that was the band that i got to play shows with like bands like Salt Majority and Glassjaw and Movie Life and all those sort of bands. And so we did um, some, like, out-of-state stuff here and there, but not, like, real touring. It would be, like, a weekend or a couple days somewhere nearby, you know? Yeah, yeah, like Weekend Warrior sort of stuff. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, as you were, you know, playing in these bands and starting to, you know, play shows and, and develop that, were you, um, I presume you were immediate, immediately taken by the idea of, you know, touring and kind of, you know, trying to, you know, be in a, for lack of a better term, a serious band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was the same way for you. I, I would imagine, like, it, it was uh, it was something that I knew I wanted to do, but, um, you know, this is before bands started getting, like, really popular, I guess, like, on, a, on another level, like, which is still weird when you think about it. Um, but... Like, I just knew that it was fun and awesome and that it was something I wanted to do, but I didn't really know where I wanted to take it. You know what I mean? It was just fun to go out with my friends and travel and play music and meet other bands. Like, the whole community and everything was amazing. You know, I mean, like, meeting you you or, um, you know, meeting Vadim or any of these other people, you meet, like, people from different places that had sort of similar backgrounds and similar reasons for getting to the same shit. That was really, like, you know, like... I, I knew that I was enjoying doing all that stuff, and that was really, you know, the motivation for me, you know? I didn't really have any aspirations of, like, taking it uh, anywhere professionally, I guess you could say, you know? Yeah. It didn't really possible. Well, yeah, yeah most, I mean, that that was, uh, you know, right as bands of an independent variety were, you know, rising to prominence, but not to the extent where any any of us could look at that as, like, a blueprint, you know? It's like, I always, yeah. you know, it's like I always cite... It's you, you know you had your bands in the early '90s from like you mentioned Sick of It All and then you know in the mid '90s from you know Earth Crisis Strife and Snapcase but then you know like in the the late '90s early 2000s it was like there's yeah there's a band like Hatebreed that you know pops off and is able to you know make a living out of it but like it really wasn't until you know Poison the Well started to you know like talk to a major label and get signed to a major label that was the only band that anyone could really point to as being like oh wow like they're like making a living out of this. I mean, uh, yeah, a very meager living, but they were able to like tour and like not have to like take a bagel store job when they got home or whatever. But that just didn't, like you said, to your point, it didn't make any sense to be like, all right, so yeah, we're going to be a professional band. It's like, what does that, what does that even mean? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess, I guess that's what happens like naturally in music scenes, but when you're in it and you're seeing that happen, it's just like totally weird. and, And you can't believe that it's happening to, bands that you're playing with that you're that you're friends with you know what i mean yeah um but i i mean i I thought it was cool i mean it's certainly like motivated uh it certainly motivated us to to try um harder to to bring the band to another level once we realized it was possible for other people like you mentioned poison the well and of course like that was when everybody you know thursday um and eventually, you know, you know how, what, you know, what happened basically, you know, with everybody. But, um, yeah, it was certainly like motivating at that point to like, you know, really not care about school <laughs> yeah. for it, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> totally. To, like, yeah. right, we're really, we're really going to ditch this because yeah, so many of our peers are, are getting lifted up now. Um, yeah. and kind of, you know, to, to your point, um, you know, once, uh, you know, the history of On the Might of Princess has been, you know, documented to where, you know, I'm not going to go through like record by record and tour by tour. But the, um, you know, as you guys started to receive momentum from, you know, the the second full length being released and, you know, people because I always found it so interesting watching the trajectory of certain bands, especially when you're talking about, you know, I was viewing it from, you know, I was working at an independent record store and touring like you were doing. And I always noticed when 
records that I was bringing in were like selling and you know it's like yeah. whatever I'd bring in a couple copies and then um, you know those I was like wow we sold three All the Might of Princes records this week I guess I have to order more and then um, <laughs> it, it was just interesting because it's like you know you guys hadn't been out here on tour at that point and um, you just start to feel the momentum and then you know once you start to travel around and see other people are also talking about the same band it was uh, it was interesting um, so did you you know, uh, upon the release of that that second full length that you had a part in, um, did you feel the I guess the momentum like relatively quickly after it was released, or was it one of those things? It was kind of a, a slow burn. It happened like I, I it's it, I'm trying to like re, like remember like you know actually it did happen like pretty quickly in terms of like there was a noticeable change um, from like. Just like, I mean, it's going to sound funny, but just like, you know, you remember like, you know, if you're playing shows like, you know, local punk shows or whatever at like VFW halls and then suddenly you played to a hundred people, that's like a really big deal. You know what I mean? Huge jump. Yeah. 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 And as opposed to like, you know, hoping that maybe like, like some people might watch you instead of showing up late for the headlining band or something. So like I noticed I, I don't even, uh, you know, I guess I have to think about it this way. Like when I grew up, like I remember you'd get like uh, an advanced copy of something and you would know the band's songs before the album came out. Like something, uh, I guess, I don't know how, how the demos got out or whatever, but like I just remember playing a show right after we, like shortly after we recorded that record and people knew the words and they were singing along. <laughs> and um, the, you know, shortly after the record came out, I noticed like more people coming out and you know, there was a lot more enthusiasm and people asking about the band. It was pretty, it was pretty immediate after the record came out. And I think it just cause it sounded, uh, fa- fairly different from, uh, the first full length and the, you know, the band already started getting like a decent local buzz from that first full length. Like I personally heard about on the might of princes because they, opened up for promise ring at nyu i think it was and like me i remember me and a lot of my friends were like who the hell is this band from long island how they get on that show so people really started talking about the band um and when that record came out um it it was a little more aggressive and i think it um attracted more of those kids that were into that metalcore scene and people that were into like the more aggressive music that was going on at the time yeah no definitely and two, I mean, it was also interesting because, you know, as uh, as the buzz started to build on what you guys were doing, you know, that was a very fertile time for, you know, the Long Island music scene from everyone paying attention to, you know, Glassjaw, Taking Back Sunday, brand new. Like, that was yeah. all, you know, circulating. So you could definitely feel the hunger for bands from that area uh, from a, you know, business perspective where labels were really, really paying attention to everything that was happening out there. So um, it kind of made, you know... It, no one ever <laughs> works it out timing wise like that, but you know, it definitely was a good opportunity for you guys putting that out and then kind of, you know, starting to capture people's attention like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. I was getting, while you were saying that, it's funny. Like I was just thinking like, that was like the birth of the fucking, the kid with the weird haircut and the laminate. You know what I mean? Like so, it was like that, that time when like hardcore turned into like, you know, the dudes walking around with their cool laminates hanging off the fucking jeans and shit. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Like when, once that so, sort of started happening, I mean, to, you know, to me, and I'm sure you felt the same way, like Thursday was the band that I think, you know, Poison and Well had like this huge momentum, but I think Thursday to me was like the first band that came out of our scene that people were just like, whoa, something crazy is happening. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Before, before it all sort of erupted and then turned into like the Taking Back Sundays and brand news, but it really felt like Thursday was like sort of like the the the, the band that that people experimented on to see how far it would go, and it worked. You know? Yeah. Oh no, it's a it's a very good point. Um, you know, and to 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 that point, you know, once you started to uh, you know play out with the the second full length under your arms and you know kind of like you said get get a little more more momentum um i do i i very very distinctly remember um you know a lot of a lot of label talk at that time for you guys in regards to like oh i remember and honestly correct me if i'm wrong in any of these recollections because it could totally be just a game (laughs) could totally be a game of telephone but the you know like i mean everybody from like you know drive through records and like obviously revelation was interested and there was just a lot of people kind of you know swirling and especially like for me the reason i mentioned drive through because i was just like what the hell's like and you know <laughs> this is the time where drive through was you know like the one of the most powerful labels on the planet as far as like hey they could put out any record and it's going to sell you know 40,000 copies immediately um yeah <laughs> was it was that true that drive through was interested in you guys that was a very controversial. I'm glad you asked that because, like, this is probably like the most interesting story about our band, like, okay. uh, that I could possibly tell. But that was a crazy situation. So, like, um, yeah, right around the t- that time when our second full length came out, we were getting you know calls for like Victory Records. I remember, um, like, Jason, our singer, he he was working at Borders and Books at the time, and he got a phone call somehow from Victory Records to his job. Somebody from Victory Records called to ask to talk to him um, about the band. So, like, I, it was it was really Victory, Eulogy, Drive Through, Revelation. Uh, those were sort of like the labels I remember hitting us up at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, so the drive through thing was funny. We got we got the Revelation and drive through. We 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 settled on like it was going to be one of those labels, um, and so. I, I'm going to be careful with name, naming names, but um, I remember, you know, so a, a local promoter uh, here in New York, uh, I can't remember who was playing. I think it was, uh, who was the, who was the ska band that was really big on, um, on drive through that was, well, they had, uh, I'm trying to think, a ska band on drive through. I mean, like at that time they had like Alistair and hello, goodbye. Um, I can't remember. They were kind of proggy. Anyway, they, oh, RX, RX Bandits? RX Bandits. There was an RX Bandits show in New York City. And uh, a friend, uh, a local promoter that I had known from the Long Island scene had said something along the lines of, um, hey, I'm here with, uh, I have no problem dropping these names, but I, Richard and Stephanie from Drive Through are here. Um, they really like your band. Do you want to come talk to them? So I remember I, I went down and spoke to uh, them, and they they were leaving uh, the city the next day, and they wanted us to show up to a rehearsal space the next day and and, and put on a show for them, <laughs> like a showcase. Right. So we so we we invited all of our friends and played a show for them the next day at like a rehearsal studio at nine a.m. on like a weekday uh, for them and they immediately wanted to sign us. And there was all this talk of like, um, they want, they, so they actually wanted us to, um, to sign. They, they said that they would, they could uh, give us access to recording with, uh, remember Mark Trombino was the guy at the time that we wanted to work with. Like they pretty much told us everything we wanted to hear. Um, we'll pay off your credit card debt. We'll 
you know, pay your rent while you're recording, all this shit. Like, I mean, they were sort of a big deal at the time. Um, and, and we heard rumors that they had done similar things for other bands that we had known, like totally, um, using the major label budget, I guess, you know, Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we, we, we had like a conference call like about, I mean, we didn't have a lawyer or a manager or anything, you know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't really know what the deal was with any of this shit, but I remember we had this conference call that I thought was really funny where, they actually told us that they want us to re-record our second record with a different producer um, and maybe, like, change some of the structures, like, throw more choruses in there. Like, this actually Whoa, was... wow. Like, they want us to re-record the whole record, re-release it, new production, maybe, like, consider changing up the songs a little bit. Um, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was pretty much, like... We, we 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 didn't we didn't agree to do that but we still were interested i mean they were promising everything from like we could put you on this tour we could get you in a bus we can get you to record at this studio with, with this guy this is what your budget will be like they told us everything we wanted to hear and um there was a point in time we were i remember we were on tour with latterman uh, and we were heading over to the West Coast, and we were supposed to go to Richard and Stephanie's house to sign this contract. And um, at some point in the middle of that tour, the word had gotten back to Richard and Stephanie that um, I can't name the band, but like there was a there was a band on the label that we kind of had issues with that we had a little bit of a rub. You know, like this was like the age of message boards. Of course. So like we, there was some shit talking between us and one of the other bands on the label at the time. And uh, the local promoter that hooked us up with this opportunity, uh, I, I didn't realize there was like a, a um, sort of like, yeah, like these guys are interested in you. And if you sign, I want to be your manager. There was a lot of like weird shit going on. We didn't want that dude to manage us. And, uh, and, and I think that between that and the other band, on the label that we sort of had issues with the word got back to Richard and Stephanie before we we signed the contract. And we were told like, like a day or two, like at the point that we were already in LA that this was not happening. Um, and it was a huge bummer because, you know, we were actually like already on the drive through website and, and sort of like, for like a week or two and like they, they, they sort of branded us as a drive through band and it all ended very quickly. <laughs> but wow, we, wow, dude, no, yeah, the, the, it's uh, weird. that is super weird. Cause honestly it's like that, that time is cause that, that, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Like realistically I can think <laughs> of two specific cases. So like what you went through and then um, like armor for sleep cause armor for sleep, it signed with victory records. They even appeared on like a victory style compilation, like, you know, four or five or something. And then yeah. they ended up being like, no, we're not signing to victory. And they signed with equal vision. But like, dude, that is so wild that it was like, like essentially 11th hour getting kind of pulled out from you guys. Oh, dude, it was, uh, it was, it was awful. Like, um, it was just funny too, though. Like I, I, I could be, I, I remember like here, like I think Richard and Stephanie had like a mansion. They were, people were saying, I don't know if it was a man, but like a really nice house and we're going to come over and sign this contract. It's going to be a big deal. You know, um, it's just funny at the time when you're like, you know, in your early twenties, like, stoked. You're, yeah. Like, um, and all like all the money they were promising us. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I it was it was a bummer because the, truth, truth, truthfully, like the issue between me and the band and me and the well between us and the and the other band and the promoter was really like had a lot to do with me. Like I was the 
guy that was sort of uh, in cahoots with these two different parties. But um, so to deliver the news to my bandmates at that time that because of some issues that these people had with me that we could not move forward or do these things was extremely disappointing but i think in hindsight i'm glad that we didn't re-record that record (laughs) like do any of the things that they wanted us to do and we 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 went with revelation and i think that um that was just more of like a credible as as a as a new york hardcore dude that was a a little bit of a credible move i think and and uh and I still love those people and go over there every time I'm out there. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, it made more aesthetic sense. And I, I thought it was, yeah, I just thought it was so strange that, you know, because drive, drive-thru did not pay, they didn't pay attention to scenes. And it's like, I mean, yeah, they did, you know, the Warp Tour scene, but not to the extent of where uh, they were really picking stuff off from other places. And so, yeah, I just always found that. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because that's definitely that's yeah. fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like also just really quick too, like I, I now that I'm remembering all this, like I remember there was also talk of like, like, uh, you know, remember people used to put stickers on your record, like, for fans of, and, like, it was like, you know, it was, you know, for fans of this band and that band. I mean, they just, I don't know. It was weird. We didn't want any of that shit, you know? Yeah. Mean? Well, it's funny. No. Yeah, because no. I'm sure that's, that's what made everything so... Uh, you know, probably difficult in your heads where it's like, yeah, you were excited about this opportunity because they were, you know, promising you the world. And uh, frankly, they delivered it, you know, I mean, like they, I mean, so many of my friends bands that existed on drive through had those experiences, you know, whether it's like the early November or hello, goodbye. It's like, you know, they just like, here, here's a van. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, 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 exactly. oh my, like that's insane. But you know, <laughs> to, to what degree from a band that you know like you guys where it's like you're coming in with you're coming from a scene and you have these kind of principles and not casting dispersions on like the early november hello goodbye like they're you know some soulless people that worked with drive through <laughs> but um you know you guys were coming at it where it's just like wait what you're asking us to do stuff that we're like really uncomfortable with <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like such as like it's what are we playing pop music here? You know yeah, I mean? so, which, which frankly, that's kind of the lens that they were viewing it from. So yeah, yeah, know. yeah. I mean, but to be honest, most of the bands on the label were pop bands at the end of the day. When you think about it, I mean, yeah. and that's no disrespect, but that's sort of what what happened, you know. Oh boy, I'm coming in hot to this one because I am so excited that my good friends and Audible are back. They're excited because they want to tell you the listener of 100 words how awesome the service is like so let's be honest chores chores kind of suck right so when you are not listening to podcasts you should be immersing yourself in some of the most amazing stories around like i can't tell you how much i recommend the book world war z i listened to it on audible as an audiobook and it's unbelievable they have people like henry rollins alan alda it is probably one of the most immersive experiences i ever had from a audio standpoint possible i want to say it was about 10 hours and it was amazing because i you know i go on walks with it i can travel with it i can do whatever i want and audible is there hanging out with me the app is free and it works on iphone ipad android and windows phone and you can find over 500 additional mp3 players that it works on and with audible you own your own books so you can access them anytime anywhere right from your smartphone and audible also has the great listen guarantee So if you decide you don't like the book you choose, no worries whatsoever. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with with another title anytime, no questions asked. So like I said, World War Z, just just dive into it. Audible is offering a 30-day trial for me. So please go to audible.com slash 100 words to start now. It's a free trial, no risk whatsoever. You get a book, you listen to it, you'll thank me later. And plus your chores will be so, you'll be done with them in like 10 minutes. 
and then you'll be like, oh my gosh, I have so much more great stuff I can accomplish while listening to World War Z. So please do that. Audible.com slash 100 words, the number 100-W-O-R-D-S and sign up now. So please do that and enjoy. Now on with the show. You mentioned you you know ended up on Revelation, and um, you know you got you guys obviously did a ton of stuff in regards to you know touring and then you know putting out sirens, um, and you know you captured you captured a lot of people's attention uh, you know across the board. Um, the uh, you know the interesting thing I found out about you know or I reflected on in regards to sirens was the fact that um, you know a lot of people were um, I know uh, <laughs> for lack of a better term like unimpressed with it where it was just like oh yeah you know it wasn't as good as the last one or whatever you know the, the age old like oh their, their demo was better sort of argument um, but you know did you notice people reacting uh, you know positively or negatively to uh, sirens and did you feel like that was you know kind of what made it more difficult to kind of continue on in regards to, you know, keeping the band together? Um, we, yeah, like si- sirens, sirens was like a weird record. I think for like, it, it didn't immediately get positive, um, reactions. Cause I think we sort of took, took things in a slightly different route with that. It was a little more sophisticated for the time, I think. Um, but it's a record that, eventually grew on people that people still like will talk about i think today and then and, and bring up but um i think it took a while for like the, the the songs on our second record were still sort of the songs that people wanted to hear when we were touring on sirens you know um it actually i got i gotta say like over we did one european tour and people over there i think reacted a little bit differently to it they took a little more liking to it in some of the other countries that we went to but um i just felt like locally people were still sort of trying to digest sirens from like the time it came out until the time that we broke up it, it wasn't like an easy record to sort of people a lot more people talked about it after we broke up i think right that's actually yeah that's probably true where i mean because you you guys didn't have a ton of activity after sirens was released right as far as touring was concerned yeah, we it was we we kind of ended on a on a on a like weird note. Like we we went on our first we you know what happened is we went on we went on a few tours here in America. I don't want to blame the label, but like it just seemed at the time like they that we were we kept being offered like tours that weren't as good as some of the other bands that on the label, you know, and we ended up doing these like pretty mediocre US tours um and you know, it just wasn't really helping motivate us to want to keep going when you're when you're just traveling and playing kind of crappy shows um and we we did go to europe and that was amazing that was like the first time we ever went overseas with the band and got to play huge festivals and actually played to like thousands of people sometimes like with like midtown and the bronx and you know i remember playing like uh some festivals even with like sick of it all and agnostic front and stuff it's kind of weird over there where you kind of end up on these random festivals and there's like a thousand you know thousands of people out there so that was a cool experience for us but um we broke up while we were in europe um kind of like like inner tensions within the band um and that was probably i i think our second tour in support of that record so like we didn't really support it we kind of i think we might have broken up within the year that it came out 
Right, right. That yeah, yeah. That, that that's what I I thought I remembered that correctly. Um, and then, like you mentioned, you know the, the the diffusion of the band. Like, there was really no fanfare about you guys breaking up. It was kind of just like, oh yeah, we're like we're, we're done. Um, and you know, usually <laughs> usually that transpires because, like you said, there's uh, inner tensions and inner workings within the the band that um, you know, frankly, just are irreparable. Um, was it? You know, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, point fingers or have you, uh, you know, share your side of the story without anybody else's having <laughs> having their, yeah. uh, their opportunity to present itself. Um, you know, how, how did you feel like? Was it, um, you know, was it like one or two members versus another two members? Was it the idea of like, you know, uh, the creative differences as far as like, oh, man, like this is the way we want the band to work. And then the other guys, you know, didn't have that idea. Um, how did that kind of transpire? Well, the, I think the easiest way to. Um to, to sort of like address that whole situation because I you know it, it was where we, we we were uh, we were all very different from each other but we kind of were able to exist musically together I guess you could say like um, and I think that um, like all of us had sort of different takes on how to how to handle like that sort of shift in like going from like a uh, independent local band to like now like being on a label and like getting to tour Europe and doing all this cool shit while your other peers around you are making videos and they're on the radio and shit. Like, I don't know that we, uh, collectively knew how to navigate through that and, and, and that actually like agree on terms that would take us to that next level. And it just like sort of blew up in our faces. There was a lot of fighting and, uh, arguments about what we should or shouldn't do. Um, and I, I, I personally like, I I was I want to say that like I was like kind of like the the main dude that really wanted to take it to like that I guess pro level so to speak but it was sort of like trying to drag people along like that didn't really want to do that not not I don't want to say that about everybody but like um, you know some people had some people had relationships some people had other shit going on um, and there was certainly like yeah just like bad hab- bad habits <laughs> that's well, the most easy thing i could say like within the band there were you know there were things going on i think that were just not really um helping to helping us be productive um like people as friends and as bandmates and um and and we 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 broke up we broke up in europe like back like three of the like are just like, backstage we just got into like an argument and realized that we were about to play our last show and that was our like official last show at that time and i think it was 2000 2002 maybe okay something like that yeah yeah i know i mean it, make, it makes sense i understand you're you're you know obviously trying to be diplomatic because you know they're like i said this is just your side of the story but um yeah i mean for anybody that was paying attention to what you guys were going through you could tell the different the different uh backgrounds of each person kind of pulling apart uh the the band in regards to like you know it, it, that's the hardest thing about a band it's <laughs> like yeah, trying to trying to get everybody on the same page and like everyone may have kind of a overall agreement but then when you know push comes to shove and then like you said you know when when people are making bad decisions in regards to um you know either either self-abuse or self-medicating or whatever in regards yeah that's only going to cloud the vision and it's going to be even more difficult to try to pull you know whoever's struggling with that in the band along and so yeah i i i I don't envy the position that you know you or the rest of the guys were in in trying to you know navigate the 
you know, frankly, the weird business world that starts to come out of band when you're like, oh, we're signed to a label and we have to like make these decisions when the, this is what we, this is what we wanted, but we weren't prepared for it at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess like it's, you know, I, I, I I don't want to uh, be too vague, you know, because like, you know, we're doing like, like I, 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 Jason was a, was, was a very, um, talented guy, but he also just had like a lot of like, you know, we, we grew up very different you know, he was sort of the main dude, you know, he wrote a lot of those songs himself. Like a lot of that second record were songs that he wrote and showed us and that we, you know, we contributed, but like, you know, he was sort of the main, that's usually how it goes with like front men, you know? Um, and, uh, as talented as he was, he was also pretty like tortured, which again is a very cliche thing to say for front men. But I think there's a reason why a lot of singers end up that way, you know? Um, and, you know, like, yeah, it was just weird. Like, I think that he was having a really hard time. And for me, I, I'm sort of like, you know, like, like, like you just said, like some, some, when you're in a band, it's really tough. Some people grew up well, some people didn't. For me, I was sort of level-headed. Um, at the time, I didn't really drink that much. I didn't really, I, I was just so focused and wanting to take the band to the next level. And I think that, um, uh, you know, with the other guys, like it was just sort of hard to, to get them all on the same page. And, uh, and that was really like, you know, how it all sort of imploded, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And so then, you know, as the band ended and, you know, you continue to play in, uh, you know, frankly, a ton of different bands, you know, from, uh, from you did stuff with primitive weapons and then, um, you, you put out the, the record on rev gracer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gracer was the band afterwards that I, um, like ended up, you know, coming out in Revelation and doing like continuing on that path and touring and and, and still trying to do the whole thing, you know. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And Primitive, Primitive Weapons is the band that I'm in now. Yeah. And so then, um, you know, you uh, you were you know basically from that point, you know, you the the idea of you know being in a touring band, making a living, um, you know, that was I, I presume a more difficult notion for you to wrap your head around. Uh, but then you were still being active in everything you were doing from a drumming perspective because there's no way that that would probably go out of you. <laughs> um, so was there a time where you were just like, "Holy shit, what am I going to do?" Oh, dude, I mean, shit. Like, I I basically like. I, I tried out for like every fucking band after that, man. Like I just, when that band broke up, I just didn't want to stop because I felt like I had reached a point that I never really thought I would reach in terms of being able to like, what, you know, at, you know, at the time, like it was just sort of crazy, like that to be on revelation records or to go play in Europe and do all this stuff. It might sound like, I think ridiculous to somebody now, but at that time that just seemed like a really big deal. So I was, as I was watching a lot of friends around me sort of take things to different levels, I just really wanted to still find a way to be a part of that. So I, you know, um, it's funny. Like I, so I tried out right after that. Um, I did Gracer. I tried out for Glassjaw. Did not <laughs> Glassjaw is the band that I tried out for so many times, and for some reason <laughs> I would just never get in the band. I tried out for the band three times in my life. Oh, one man. time I was in on the My Princes, and actually one time last year. So for like fifteen years, try you know that was the band that I would always try out for. That would for some reason have me come down, but but then never actually have me join the band. They're like, um, they're, they're like oh, I thought this dude's name was familiar. It's that same guy. Yeah, we don't want you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right, but it was weird like a lot of those friends bands uh, that you know like Coheed was a band that we took out on tour who opened up for us and um, Take Back Sunday 
and brand new. I mean, I so like there were different points when I tried out to like I, I Tommy and I, uh, Tommy who was the bass player from on on the Might of Princes during the time that Coheed had their split with the rhythm section, uh, Tommy and I both tried out at the same time to be the rhythm section for Coheed, and um, that didn't work out. Um, and uh, yeah, oh, I, I played in uh, I. Yeah, like over the years, I had just played in different. I mean, I played in Shy Halud, Super Touch, Criteria. So I just kept going as an independent drummer, trying to like find a fit somewhere. And um, you know, I just kept it going for as long as I could could go. And at a certain point, I realized you know that I wasn't going to be a full time musician. That's when I <laughs> decided to get a day job, like a real day job, and not do the uh, work at the coffee shop on the weekends, and then or you know during the week, and then go tour on the weekend or go play shows. Like you know, it, it hit a, a you know it hit a wall at some point, and I was like, all right, I have to be a a normal adult and get a job, you know. But you know, I I I, I kept trying, and I, right now I'm I'm sort of back at it, and and then touring and doing stuff. It's you know sort of surprisingly a lot easier. Like I think later in in life when you can sort of get yourself situated and 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 then um, you know and 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 and, and still pursue all this stuff you know yeah well absolutely because i mean at a certain point you just understand life better and you understand what you need to do in order to get your base needs filled as far as like you know rent and all that stuff but then you're like oh but there's you know i could do this while also balancing this and yeah it's just about finding <laughs> finding that time yeah. to be able to do that yeah you'd like to think after all those years of crazy uh shit that you'll figure out something at some point yeah <laughs> it work totally <laughs> Um, and the last thing I want to hit on was, you know, like like you mentioned, you know, Jason, the singer of On the Might of Princess was, uh, you know, a, a, the the cliche of tortured artists. Like it, it was very reflective over his experience and what he was going through. And then, you know, when he passed, he, he died in 2012, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. He, uh, he, pat, uh, I'm trying to, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's always weird when you, you know, uh, people, I mean, people that are, are, are our age, um, you know, and, and even older, you know, generationally speaking, where it's like you can look forward, you know, a generation or two in bands that existed before ours and be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you like they're older, but like, you know, no one's at risk for dying. And so then when stuff like this comes out where it's just like, I'm like, oh, my God, like that's, you know, he clearly yeah. is not old. And, you know, I, I presume was, um, you know, struggling with addictions and a lot of the uh, issues that arise around that. Um you know, at that point, had uh, you know all the relationships within on the Mitre Princes kind of mended itself, or was that kind of a uh, a unifying factor where it's just like, oh my god, like this happens, yeah. you know, the like, like let's get these shows together, all that sort of stuff. You know, how did that kind of all sort of sit in your head? Well, it was unfortunate because, uh, like, well, obviously, like he passed away. He was thirty three at the time. Um, we, you know, I, you know, I, I. I no, I don't know that any of us really know what happened. You know, he just, he, he had heart complications and I don't know that it was a result of anything that he was doing at that moment in time, or if it was just, um, you know, not being healthy and your body just eventually giving out on you, uh, from just the years of whatever, you know, but like, um, we, yeah, we, you know, Jason and uh, and, and, and I always speak for myself. Jason and I like had sort of like a, a back and forth, Friendship, you know, I always had a lot of love and respect for him. But um, I think because we were in a band and we had those arguments that dating back to like back in like you know those days when we were trying to do stuff, I think that sort of um, 
made our relationship complicated. And we did like a lot of reunion shows. Uh, so we did a reunion in 2006 and I think 2009 and then 2012, we were supposed to do one. I think, I, I don't know if I have, but we did three different reunions that were really awesome. Um, and that last one that we tried to do, we, you know, I just, we, we, we talked about trying to like regroup and like actually start rehearsing and talk about writing music and stuff and thought maybe like, you know, like being older and all those years of, um, just being able to sort of like distance yourself from all the drama and stuff that went down that maybe we could give another shot at it, but, uh, just didn't really work out that way. And sort of those old arguments and tensions sort of came up and unfortunately we, you know, we, we did not leave on the best of terms and like when he had passed away, we were sort of like still in the middle of that weird debacle. But, um, you know, it's, uh, and we were actually supposed to headline, uh, a a show here in Long Island, uh, Long Island hardcore festival. Um, and we pretty much like canceled a week, before that, that was like, we had a rehearsal. He flew out here from Texas. He was living in Austin at the time. And we just had a fucking crazy argument. Um, and, you know, that canceled the show, uh, which is kind of a big deal when you're headlining a festival, um, you know. And uh, and then and, and then he passed away a few months later. So it wasn't really the best ending. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I hope it doesn't sound like a cop-out. But, like, you know, it's obviously had a lot of really amazing times and memories that we shared together that, you know, God, like, you know, I, I, those are the, that's how we sort of cut our teeth, you know, in, in terms of like being in bands and touring. So I'm just stoked that I got to, uh, that we had, we had those times together, you know, but it was a weird sort of awkward ending and just sort of the band kind of existed that way. It was sort of the nature. It was a very, very, you know, it's a lot of weird shit that would go on in band, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, each other, but it was just hard to express that. We were just all so different, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense in the context of what you're talking about, where, you know, n- no one can plan out their ideal uh, roadmap uh, from a relationship perspective, you know, let alone, you know, putting other people into the equation, trying to, you know, creatively come together on something. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, no matter where relationship ends up with the person, you know, uh, as they, uh, you know, as they leave the planet, um, the fact that you still did forge bonds and like have these real connections that, you know, frankly, no one else, uh, has that, uh, you know, has that besides the rest that has in your band. Um, and that's, that's the sort of stuff that, you know, I'm sure that you just hold on to where you're just like, yeah, whether, you know, it sucked that it ended badly, but you know, there were a lot of times where, you know, we hugged each other and we were like, you know, brothers brothers in arms and stuff like that. I mean, and also just like, this is sort of evidence of that. Like, I feel like if I wasn't in that band, I mean, it was his, you know, it was his band, you know, like I feel like if I wasn't in that band, I wouldn't like have the, the, uh, the awesome people that I get to visit when I am traveling for, you know, you know, going out to, to, to the West coast or going to another country. A lot of people I met because of the band from touring. So it's like, you know, that it, it brought a lot of, um, awesome things to, 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 you know, it, 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 there, there was, there was a lot of good that came from being in that band. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of part of life, man. This shit happens. It's unfortunate, but you know, um, you know, we, you know, I don't know. I, 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 we all, we all, we all really loved each other a lot. It was just really tough and, um, and, 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 
And uh, I hope that people fucking appreciate, you know, if you're in a band or just like, you know, doing shit like it's sort of silly, like it's supposed to be fun. You know, you got to appreciate the stuff that you're doing, you know, and not take it so seriously, <laughs> you know. No, absolutely. Um, well, the last thing I want to ask was like, like you mentioned, you know, getting a day job and that sort of stuff, but then also still pursuing the musical passions. Like, so what are you, uh, what are you doing currently from, you know, like a day job perspective and then, um, you know, the, the music stuff that you're trying to put together on the side? Well, so I, I, I eventually um, uh, decided to work kind of like like in music, but more like behind the scenes. And I'm currently working at Loudwire, which is like the you know it's like the big metal um, hard rock website. Um, you know, they have like a lot of cool video content and do a lot of events and stuff like that. And I previously was at Revolver Magazine, so I've been able to sort of like uh, stay in music and you know professionally. Um, which is, you know, when you, when you get a day job and you're, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's great when you can at least like be surrounded by something that you're interested in. So I've been sort of lucky that I got to, to at least stay within the music world. And, um, when I'm not doing that, I am playing in primitive weapons and I also play in a band called spotlights, um, and, uh, and a band called Han. So I'm like in three bands, I'm still playing all the time. I'm totally, uh, you know trying to be as active as, as possible. Um, Primitive Weapons is actually on uh, Party Smasher, which is Ben Weinman's record label, and we just did um, Dillinger Escape Plan's last tour um, in Europe, and we're going to be heading out with Mutoid Man at some point in the next um, few months. And then Spotlights um, is a band that I also play, and we just did a tour of Deftones and Refused, actually. That was pretty sick, and I, I, there's talk of some other tours and things happening um, coming up. But yeah, man, I, I'm still out there and playing and, 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 and just, you know, actively involved in the music scene and you know it's it's an awesome time like i think that aggressive music is starting to really pick up again at least it is here in new york so it's it's awesome man I'm very stoked yeah no that's very cool it's very exciting well chris thank you so much for uh, hanging out i hope this was uh, enjoyable for you which you know i i, I presume it was but <laughs> it was <laughs> i appreciate it <laughs> yeah no for sure it was definitely fun for me too so that was chris rad right and I just, oh man, I'm so, so incredibly excited that I got to the bottom of the drive through Records thing because uh, I don't I don't know, you just get certain obsessions about uh, music, whether it's like record labels and the time that they spent, you know, on top of the uh, public attention span pile. And uh, like drive through Records is just so interesting to me, partially just because I had, you know, friends that worked there for a long time and I, I got to know some of the behind the scenes workings over there. And I've had a lot of friends that were signed to the record label. I just find it so uh, unbelievable how powerful that label was. And um, yeah, anyways, that is uh, that's what that's what's happening with that. And thank you very much, Chris, for wanting to do the show. I appreciate it. And please listen to On the Mind of Princes. They have some great records that are up on the digital music providers. Um, they had one called Sirens that came out in Revelation. That was the last recording that they did. And it's a really, really good record. So check that out. And uh, next week, actually all next month, I'm excited to bring you a themed month because, uh, you know, occasionally I like to group interviews together where it's uh, all part of one theme. But uh, this is one that I'm incredibly passionate about just because, um, you know, frankly, I've gotten emails about this and people have, uh, you know, not been crappy to me, but they've been like, hey, you know, you don't have as uh, many women as you do men. And frankly, that's just a numbers game, you know, Um, but I'm excited that that is not the case in April. April is all women all the time. And what I mean by that is people who are involved in independent music 
and uh, you know our girls and our women. And it's awesome because there's so many people who have contributed to our awesome scene. And uh, that's exactly what I want to shine a light on. And uh, next week is a person who plays in a band. Her name's Sarah Taylor. She plays in Youth Code. Uh, she was also on the road forever and ever and ever with a lot of different metal bands. So, um, yeah, Youth Code's an incredible band. But uh, Sarah is kicking off the uh, month of awesome interviews with women involved in independent music. So I'm excited to bring that to you. And, uh, yeah, anyways, next week I will be on vacation, but uh, I will still be releasing an episode. Just want to let you know in case, for whatever reason, I decide to push back a day or so. But, uh, yeah, it shouldn't happen, but just want to let you know. So until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.